0: Today we'll continue in our sermon series entitled Everyday Battles where we're exploring the sufficiency of Christ in the midst of everyday struggles that we face. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew six twenty-five through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need in all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? I heard, the, I heard, um, I heard there's no coffee this morning, um, yeah, is that, so are you okay? <laughs> no? Um, I'm taking that into consideration as you react to my sermon this morning, knowing that you haven't had coffee, so you're welcome, grace Grace on all of you, for no coffee this morning. Um, my name is Andrea, I'm on staff here at Christ City Church, um, and um, this morning, um, y'all, uh, we're, we're in a series called Everyday Battles, um, and I, I really appreciated this series and the topics we've been discussing um, because Jesus had a lot to say about the everyday stuff in our life. And to me, I think that any, any theology that's worth its weight should, should really function in real life. Um, so everyday battles. The, the topics we've engaged with so far have been disappointment, doubt, and money. Th- th- some legit, Everyday battles. Um, when we pla- so when we planned this series, the different topics that, we, um, that we've preached on for the most part sort of fell um, on a particular speaker based on date availability, um, but we sort of joked that maybe each one of us got like assigned the topic that we each needed to address ourselves individually. Now, I'm not here to place judgment. Um, you guys can do that yourselves on who preached what. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're thinking about it now, aren't you? Um, but I, I don't know about everybody else, but for me that is, this has been so true. Like, hit the nail on the head, true. This week we are talking about worry. Um, great. So great. Um, this is something that I really, that I really struggle with um, and tried to switch um, topics and that was not successful. So today we're going to look at a few scriptures that, um, that explore where worry comes from and what we do with it. And, um, and really, this is just a journey that I'm on that I'm making you all come with me on. So let's, let's go. Um, I, am, I am a serious worrier. It is, it is a problem. I am the queen of contingency plans. Um, I remember the first time that we flew with the girls on a plane. Um, I think they were like one in three or something like that. And I was so stressed out about what would happen, like how to keep them occupied on the plane. It was only like a few hours we were going to Colorado. Like that's not even that far. but i had I had worked myself up worrying, um, and I imagined this this situation where um, the plane, or at least the people around me would break into some kind of, um, mutiny chaos against my family because my kids, one of my kids was like losing their minds because I wasn't prepared enough to handle it on the, on the plane. I, you know, you're laughing, but this is a real thing. Like I didn't even worry about packing. I worried about the plane ride. Um, I, the the week before I literally had plans A, B, C, D and E packed in our bags. Um, plan F, which is the emergency plan stands for food which always works, but you like, can't pull that one out too soon because then you don't have anything left after F. Um, there's no, nothing. Um, so I brought toys and movies and pillows and we had bags and bags of stuff and we had car seats. We looked like crazy people walking through the airport. Um, our poor kids were like stuffed in the row. I think we have a picture of this. Um, <laughs> so. So you can see them in there, I think, their little faces. You can't really see Rowan. She's just stuffed in between too much stuff in there. And what you can't see is that under their feet, it was like they couldn't, their feet couldn't dangle. It was just like out straight because there was so much stuff um, underneath of their feet. Um, Yeah, I over-prepared a little for that one. Um, The flight itself, of course, was uneventful. I think we skipped over plans B and E. We had it straight for food, which ended up being fine. But. I felt like I needed those plans in order to try to feel in control of the situation before I was in it. And I feel like that's how worry usually goes for me. It, it, it jumpstarts me into this what is usually unnecessary action as a reaction to some kind of uncertainty. Like worry, when I'm worried, I'm always like digging as deep as I can to figure out what I can muster up in myself to ensure the kind of outcome that I want. I mean, that's a funny experience, um, but a very telling experience for me. But the, the most the most significant experience I've had with worry was um, the time when I think I felt like I had the least amount of control over something. And that was the first time um, that I was pregnant, that I became pregnant. Um, I was really excited, uh, but I was also really young. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, very idealistic, did not... Um, really think to, to to know more about it before that happened. So <laughs> so I did what any good worrier would do. I started Googling. Now <clears throat> you should never Google. Like you just shouldn't, especially if it has to do with like your body or health, don't do it. Um the time between finding out that I was pregnant and then visiting my doctor for the first time, that span was several weeks. So I had a lot of time to just freely Google. Um, and it started off really casually enough, like I was just looking for some basic information um, cause I had none, but as worry does, eventually it sort of morphed into Googling all the things that I could think of that could possibly derail my highly perfected image of what, of what I thought my family should be and look like and I mean, some of my worries were really legit. Um, I had people who were really close to me struggling through infertility, um, friends who were dealing with unexpected tragedy around their family. Um, but, I, but honestly, I, I think my worry really didn't stem from them. It, it stemmed from my own lack of control about the future. So over those next few weeks, uh, my Googling became so bad that I was losing sleep. Um, I, I was, I was staying up late on the computer, um, googling everything, trying to expose myself to every possible bad thing that could happen during pregnancy, so that I could make contingency plans for myself and give myself a sense of control over any possible outcome. And this lasted for weeks, weeks. Like Drew would go to sleep, and I would still be up googling on the computer. And. and, and In my attempt to regain some sense of control, I honestly didn't realize how much I was being controlled by my worry. So when I finally got to the doctor, like 10 weeks late, 10 weeks, y'all, of Googling, 10 weeks later, I had I came with this long list of questions about my chances for rare diseases and complications, and I delivered them in the doctor's office, rapid fire, like, well, what about this, well, what about this? With, and I, I was working myself up, I'm like crying, I'm starting to cry in the doctor's office, and my doctor did the best thing for me. She, she, sto- she goes, stop, and she said very bluntly, she goes, girl, you have got to stop Googling. <laughs> and I did feel a little dumb at that point, I did. But I mean, I had wasted all this energy on trying to like death grip the future and make myself a, a, a kind of guarantee, right? And I mean, everybody worries. We all worry. Every human being worries. Um, if you have a lot of money, if you don't have any money, if you're old, you're young. Um, any time that that humans have lived throughout history, we have worried, um, and and we do it because we constantly face uncertainty about the future. We don't know. It's an everyday battle. Today, we don't know what will happen tomorrow or the next day, and that continues every day. And so, um because this is such a universal issue, um, we can look through the Bible and look um, at how different, um, different stories, different parables, different teachings deal with the topic of worry because everyone does. And so today, what, what I'd like to do, we're gonna jump around a little bit in scripture um, and, and try to get a better understanding of worry's implications. And so we're gonna start with Psalms. And a few months ago, I preached from a Psalm and I was saying how much I love the Psalms because they're just unfiltered humanness. I love that. Um, and, and just the, the raw emotions of the Psalms, I feel like help us understand ourselves and it, it's comforting in a lot of ways that we can bring these things to God. And the Psalms are filled with worried people. <laughs> um, they're filled with worried people. They're filled with people who are just um, gut reacting to their worry. Um, and, and we can see in a lot of the Psalms what, what people, what we try to do um, to secure our uncertainties. And so one of, those, one of those Psalms is Psalm 121. So we're gonna look at that one first this morning. Psalm 121 is called a song of ascent, which means it likely originated and was used during pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And it, it might be a familiar one to you. It starts like this. I lift my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I've always heard this psalm, especially these two first verses, interpreted um, in that way of, of, of saying, when we lift our eyes to the hills and we look to creation, like a beautiful mountain, the hills, we are reminded that our help comes from the Lord who created it. Like in posters that have this verse, like these two verses on it, it's always... Um, Like the verses accompanied by like a silhouetted mountain at sunrise or something really beautiful. And that's a really beautiful interpretation and real. I think that 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 is an interpretation. But I do think that there's more here about these first two verses especially. So in ancient times, the hills, the idea of the hills or the high places would have represented a couple of different things. For ancient people, first of all, the, the hills would have been associated with danger, not just like God and God's creation, they would have been associated with with danger. Hills were used as a geographical protection around a village or a city from invading enemies. So if your enemies were coming for you, they'd be coming through the hills. Um, If you were traveling through hills, the threat of robbers or attackers were always present. And I mean, thinking through it even just that way, the first verse reads differently. I lift my eyes to the hills, or um, there are dangers on the horizon, I am worried. Where will my help come from? Another ancient association with hills would have been as um, the high places where created idol gods were sacrificed to. So not just to be worshipped, but but in an appeal for help. So in uncertainty, people would trek up to the high places to try to get help from a, a created god. And I think this widened perspective on the first verse of the psalm speaks to where worry comes from, which is looking towards possible trouble, and how we deal with uncertainty, which is by looking to create our own help, our own plan, our own control. And the things we create for that purpose are idols. At the root of worry is fear. It's like a really base thing. It was fear that had me making ridiculous contingency plans for this short airplane ride to Colorado with my kids. It, it was fear that something would go terribly or tragically wrong in the pregnancy that kept me up in the middle of the night, fingers furiously typing in a feeble attempt to exact some kind of control over the situation. It, it's fear that keeps me stressed over my grades or my connections or um, my sermon on a Sunday morning because I'm afraid that I'm going to misrepresent something or be unprepared for something that's coming in the future. It, it's fear that keeps me um, obsessed with micromanaging my kids and their behavior because I'm afraid of who they're going to turn out to be if I don't do that. The, the greatest temptation for us in our worry, in, in our fear, because the root of worry is fear, our greatest temptation in that is to look for security and protection from uncertainty in things that we can control, like how much money we have saved or um, our, our, the, the prestige of a specific kind of job title or degree. Um, our connections, our, our, contingent, our contingency plans that we make and make and make and make. And when we do that, we let those things fuel us. We let those things drive us into our future. So we sustain ourselves, we preserve ourselves, we bolster ourselves, we help ourselves. And I think the rest of Psalm 121 is a reminder to us then I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then further down in the Psalm, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Our, our help does not come from the idols that we create but from the Lord. I, I don't know if you've ever been um, whitewater rafting or on some kind of river. Um, I find it terrifying. Um, if, if you've done that, you've had to sit through that video where they tell you like what to do if you fall out of the boat. Um, again, terrifying. Um, but but it, it's funny because I feel like everything they tell you to do in that video is against your actual instincts of what you would do if you fell out. Um, they tell you if you fall out of the boat, don't panic, <laughs> okay, um, and then, they tell you, you, don't try to stand up, don't try to swim head first. What you need to do is put your feet up and put your head back and let the river carry you down. The, the more you actually exert effort, the more in danger you are of actually getting stuck in a rock or hitting your head, um, the, the less likely it is that you won't get hurt. And, and it's because you're putting forth your own effort, you actually have to just give in to the, to the efforts of the river at that point. But, but how So how do we get to this place of floating down a river? How do we get there to a place of security and non-worry? I mean, since this series is called Everyday Battles, how then do we go to battle with worry? I want to look at Jesus' teaching about worry, one of his teachings about worry. Um, he addresses this universal struggle in, the Sermon on the, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And I mean, he, he addresses it head on, the, the heading of this section is do not worry. Um, so I think that we can safely say this is something we should look at if we're talking about worry. Let's look at it. So we're going to start in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay so easy peasy, right? Just stop worrying. Just stop. Just add it to your to-do list. You're good to go. Good. I'm just kidding. Um, when I opened this section up and I started studying this, these passages, I realized that, um, that this section starts with the word therefore, which means we actually have to look back at what was said previously to really be able to clearly understand the point being made. And when I did that, I found that Jesus was also very keen to where our worry comes from and what we do with it so let's back up a little bit let's back up in chapter six and let's start at verse 19. do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also The eye of the lamp is the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. These are the verses that are leading up to the do not worry section of the therefore because of this, therefore, don't worry. Before Jesus talks about worry, he addresses our hearts, our eyes, and our drive forward. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Worry can be an indicator of where our treasure lies, especially when we stop to consider what we are worried about. If what we treasure most is security, that's where our actions will be directed. The eye is the lamp of the body. What then are we looking for? Are we looking for ways to self-sustain? Are we in pursuit of control? The direction our eyes look is the direction we go. The section right before the Do Not Worry passage is the most clarifying, I think. Um, No one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. So the word translated as wealth or money sometimes here is mammon. And the word mammon as it's used here um, in the original language can, can be translated as treasure or what is trusted in. So it actually refers to more than money. I get that that's what we've heard is you cannot serve both God and money. It's, it's you cannot serve both God and mammon. It refers to more than money. It, it encompasses whatever it is that, that we acquire or try to acquire for our own gain, our own wealth, our own assurance of security. And I wanna be, I wanna be really clear here that Jesus is not saying that you cannot have mammon, that you cannot have money or wealth. Um, When he says you cannot serve both God and mammon, he's calling out mammon as a competing God for our service and our attention and our worship. Mammon, when we use it as a means of our own security, becomes an idol on a hill to which we lift our eyes up. And we cannot serve both God and mammon. So it's from this section in talking about the worries of our hearts and how they direct us towards what it is that we will serve, that Jesus then says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, "What will we eat?" or "What will we drink?" or "What will we wear?" For it's the Gentiles who strive for these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus is not chastising us. He, he's trying to remind us where our help comes from. In our stresses and our worries about the uncertainties we face, God is steadfast. God is always with us. God knows what we need and will provide it. So we're, I mean, we're talking about, what we're really talking about here is a spectrum of control, I think, and what you do with it. Um, And I I wanna be clear that, so we've talked about this one end of the spectrum of control, which is worry. I wanna be clear that um, it's important to note that the other end of the spectrum of, of control is carelessness. So, so the antidote for worry is not inaction. It's, it's not throwing up our hands and saying, okay, well, whatever happens, happens. Or like, um, God knows what I need, so um, I don't have to do anything. It'll just fall from the sky. Well, that, that's not, it's still on this spectrum of control, which we just need to get off the spectrum. Um, we're, we are made to work. We're, we're made to do that. Um, we are, are made to create things of value. There is um, such goodness and value in everyday things and being a good steward of the money and the resources that we have. And that does include planning. It does include work. There's a level of responsibility that we have that's warranted and very, very good. We are meant to care for things. Care is not what Jesus is asking us to do away with. It's worry. We are meant to live a life that is full of care, but free of worry. I told my mom recently um, that I think my last real step into adulthood is, uh, is keeping a plant alive. Um, I, haven't, I haven't tried it yet. I'm scared. Um, <laughs> like, I've kept children alive, but I feel like um, that's different than a plant. I don't know. I, I haven't tried. I think this is actually very disappointing to my mom. Uh, Because she grew up on a farm, and she has a million plants in her house. Like, the oxygen there is just so pure because there's so many plants. (laughs) And and so when she comes over, when we have this conversation, she's always trying to tell me how easy it is to care for a plant. She's like, oh, let's just get you a so-and-so plant. It's so easy. Um, It can go for days without water, and you just kind of sit it in, like, a, a, a relatively sunny place, and then you forget about it. And then you're good. You forget about it. And I'm like, thanks mom, maybe, maybe later. Um, But I I think that the thing about a plant um, that scares me is that I'm actually, I'm not afraid that I think I'm gonna forget about it, I I won't. Um, I'm gonna do the other thing. So I know that I'm gonna worry over that freaking plant and that's what's gonna kill it. (laughs) I will find a way to micromanage a plant, I would do it. I will overwater it or like, leave it in direct sunlight too long, or buy some like fertilizer that isn't meant for that plant and kill it. Because um, I want it to grow and thrive so bad. Like, I want it so bad that I'm just going to micromanage it. Jesus, um, Jesus uses a lot of farming analogies in his parables and teachings because, while, while it is not a familiar concept to me, it was to the people who were listening to him at the time. And I think there's a lot of wisdom that we can, that we can um, understand and gain from this kind of an analogy. So in growing a crop, there is work for us to be done. So the soil has to be tilled. You actually have to plant the seeds and you have to water them. Um, So like on the one end, we can't say, God will take care of it and sit inside and like don't do anything and expect crops to grow. That's not, that's carelessness. We are to take care of what we can. But after that, after we do our part, there is not anything we can do to control the growth of the plant. There's There's a part of the growing and the thriving of a plant that has nothing to do with us and our efforts. The the other end of the spectrum, the one that Jesus warns against, is being consumed with worry and trying to control things that we are not in control over. It's possible to overwater and drown a plant or plant so many seeds that the nutrients are depleted from the soil and then nothing will grow. Again, we're meant to live full of care, free of worry. Just like a plant will die with overwatering, too, there are legit side effects to our worry. I read this great quote this week, it was attributed to a lot of different people, so I'm not sure who originally said it, but (laughs) the quote is, it is the ills that never happen that have mostly made men miserable. In our worry, we attempt to deal with situations before they happen in order to try to gain the upper hand on them. We make ourselves try to experience the things we're most worried about happening. It's like we're trying to have tomorrow and the next day and the next day on our terms only. Obviously, that is not how that works. When we allow that to consume us, we expend great energy to regain control. And there's actually detrimental side effects to our bodies when we do that. So this week I was reading about um, how how worry dumps these stress hormones into our brains. And these stress hormones have specifically been linked to things like shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, being more prone to um, things like heart disease, cancer, premature aging, um, clinical depression, Dementia, Alzheimer's, it's detrimental to our body. We're not meant to live being consumed like that by something. It harms our bodies. So looking back at Matthew 6, Jesus is reminding us that when we deny our inherent value, that, that, that what we do when we worry, we deny our inherent value to God when we worry and place our trust in places besides God. A life of worry is not what we are called to. Do not worry. Instead, Jesus says a few verses um, further down in Matthew six thirty-three. instead strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We are given something to replace worry with, which is care. A life full of care, full of striving for the kingdom brings purpose and it brings focus. A life full of worry brings stress and hoarding and sore muscles from trying to white knuckle grip our control over uncertainties. When our focus shifts from the acquisition of mammon to the kingdom, we move from hoarding to generosity. We move from, from a feeling of scarcity to the trust of abundance from a tight grip to an open hand, from, from the inside chaos that worry brings to the peace of having purpose. To strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to seek after God's rule and reign in life and every sphere of life. So in, that means inside our own hearts and out in the world. The word translated here as righteousness is Dekayasuna. I did it, it's a hard one. This word can also, so it's, it's translated sometimes as righteousness, it is also translated as justice. The efforts we place into managing our worry and efforts to gain mammon and be self-sustaining can distract us from seeking kingdom justice. We have a responsibility especially to those whose worries can be quelled by feeding those who are hungry and clothing those who are naked. This is a part of our striving in recognizing and receiving the kingdom of God here on the earth. We cannot serve both God and mammon. They're two different kingdoms. We will love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. We are to be full of care and free of worry. Now, of course, we are not promised a life with no struggle or no hardship or no work. We know that that's not true. If I stood up here and said that um, the God life or or living into the kingdom of God was easy, I would expect one of you or multiple of you to to get up and come up here, smack some sense into me and drag me out of here. I want that you're free to do that. We will continue to have cares, legitimate reasons that evoke worry. I'm not saying that we don't have things in our life that that just don't justify worry. We do. We we don't eradicate the anxiety that uncertainty brings, but we have a choice over whether or not our worries control us by evaluating where our treasure is, in what we put our trust in, and in, in what fuels our decisions and our actions. That's our choice. God does not offer predictability. God does offer presence. And in God's presence is provision and there is peace. We're able to live worry-free in a world that is filled with worry because of the presence of God with us. The worries don't disappear. They don't. But God is with us in it. I I love the story of, um, of Jesus with Mary and Martha in Luke. I, I totally get Martha. Like I think that we could have been friends and like run the world together. <laughs> Me and Martha would have gotten some stuff done. <laughs> so in the story, um, in the story, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples, and Martha welcomes them into her home to stay while they're in her village. Now hosting a group of men would have been no small feat. Like they were when you host someone, you're expected to give them a place to stay and food, um, and Martha is justifiably busy making preparations for them all to be able to rest and eat after they've been walking for days. Um, And so she gets mad at her sister Mary for not helping with all the many needed tasks and instead sitting with Jesus seemingly wasting time. So she tells Jesus to get Mary to help her to make these necessary preparations so he can't eat And Jesus, but Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. I I love how Jesus doesn't correct Martha for doing the tasks because he knows they're needed. They got to eat, but he invites her to peace because she's distracted by worry. You are worried and distracted by many things. Only one thing is necessary, he says, which Mary has chosen. Martha was making a good thing, the greatest thing. And in doing that, she neglected to realize and remember that Jesus was there. When we are distracted with worry, we often forget Jesus is with us. There is need of only one thing. And again, this doesn't change the fact that we will continue to face uncertainty. But like I said before, God doesn't offer us predictability. He offers us presence, and with God's presence comes peace. God desires to give us lives that are full of care and free of worry. I just, um, I just finished a book by Amina Brown called Breaking Old Rhythms. Really good, if you're interested in a good book. Um, but in it, she, she talks about, there's one section where she talks about the things that God wants to give us. And she references um, Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Psalm. And, and then what God then leads us into. And I love this because she talks about how her own worries play out. And she sounds a lot like me. Um, and she, she rewrites Psalm 23 to represent what her life looks and feels like sometimes on the inside, even though she knows that this isn't true. But this is how she rewrote Psalm 23 to describe inside of her. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want everything. He makes me run around like a chicken with my head cut off. He leads me to busyness, he repeats my chaos. This is not what God wants for us. This sounds like what mammon wants for us what worry wants for us. Mammon is my shepherd. I shall want everything. Mammon leads me to busyness. Mammon leads me to inner chaos. Security is my shepherd. Control is my shepherd. I am my own shepherd. I shall want everything. I make myself run around like a chicken with its head cut off. I lead myself to busyness. I lead, I repeat my own chaos. What does this say though? What does God want for us? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. This is a picture of peace and provision. And this is why the psalmist can say right after that, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. So, after that first doctor's appointment, in which my OB um, told me I need to chill out and stop Googling, I, I went home um, and I tried to slowly wean myself off the Google search, um, which was hard. A few days after that, I was reading and studying and I came across another Psalm, Psalm 46. And this I don't know what happened, but it it changed my view for the rest of my pregnancy. It allowed me to stop Googling um, and and honestly has continued. This has come up to me again and again. It's helped me to um, continue to evaluate and direct my worried thoughts when they come. This is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, be still, know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So even, this Psalm is saying, even if my greatest worries happen, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the earth should change, when my worst case scenario worry comes to pass, I do not have to fear. I do not have to scramble for control. I do not have to sustain myself. The Lord of hosts is with me. God remains providing provision and peace. So the question then this morning that I'm posing to you that I've had to deal with this whole week, what is your mammon? What are you placing your trust in? When you lift your eyes to the hills, when you recognize, you you survey the horizon, you recognize the risks ahead, what are you looking to? Do, Do you feel like me where you have like nail marks on your palms from gripping so tightly? God sees you. In your inner chaos, God wants to be your peace. So as I wrap up this morning, I just want to pose one simple challenge to us. Really easy. I'm not going to make you give away all your stuff or tell everybody about your worries. I'm not going to do that. You can. You can do that. I want to challenge us to to practice one simple act um, to consider um, how we battle our ever-present worry. Um, It comes straight from Jesus. Look at the birds and consider the lilies. Take the time this week to literally stop and smell the roses. Now this wasn't my idea. Um, this was Watson's idea. Um, when we were discussing this sermon in our sermon planning meeting, um, we were talking about like the antidotes to worry and he said he had been walking around the neighborhood because it's blooming springtime and smelling the trees. So if you saw a guy walking around sniffing trees, it might have been Watson. <laughs> I thought that was great. But we, we are so consumed in our worries sometimes that we miss the little things that are outside that spring has to offer us. Look at the birds, consider the lilies. The, these are Jesus's positive directives in the Do Not Worry passage. It's like, don't worry, don't worry about this, don't worry about this, then what you should do is this instead. Stop worrying. Look at the birds and how God provides for for them. Remember God's provision. Look at the lilies in their beauty. Remember the value you have and that unlike the scarcity of the world, God operates only out of abundance and offers us peace. So I challenge you to do that this week. Walk around. You might look kind of (laughs) weird. That's okay. Be still and know that God is God. We are to live lives that are full of care and free of worry. Will you pray with me, God? This is hard. This is hard, and I, I know that um, that you've seen me this week, uh, trying not to worry about this morning, and um, and honestly, God, I, I feel. Um, I feel like I, in a lot of ways, um, don't even have the qualifications to stand up here and talk about worry because I know that um, many of my friends even here in this room um, have worries that run so much deeper. Um, I pray God that this morning as we, um, as we are together, um, that we recognize your presence with us this morning. Even right now, God, we acknowledge that you are always there, that you are always with us, that, that when we feel far from you, it's not because you have moved, but because we have moved. Or we've shut our eyes or put our hands over our ears so we can't sense you or hear you or see you moving. So I pray, God, for us this morning that, um, that we would be able to recognize your presence God, and that the overwhelming feeling that we would have this morning because you are here with us is peace. That you would give us the peace that passes all of our own understanding. Be with us this morning, God. Slow us down. Thank you for your presence.